0: You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's Homilies, powered by Mountain Catholic. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena and pastor of Christ the King University Parish in Missoula, Montana. Hear and observe, O Israel, that you may live. These are the words of Moses when he gives the law to the people at Sinai. And he goes on in a beautiful way to describe what the law is. He says, what great nation is there that has God so close to it as the Lord our God is whenever we call upon him? What great nation has statutes and decrees that are as just as the whole law which I am setting before you here today? I think we've been trained both by our culture and perhaps even by the church to see the law as a burden to endure or perhaps not even to endure, perhaps to sort of subtly rebel against or try to get around, or just as an unfortunate side of civilized life, that laws are just going to be a part of life. This is not how the people of Israel saw the law. They saw the law as an incredible and miraculous blessing from God that freed them from the slavery and darkness of sin. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas describes mercy in this way. He says, mercy is to identify the source of one's misery and to remove it. To identify the source of misery and remove it. And so, in giving the law to the people of Israel, God has given them a way to identify the source of their misery. What are the things that you're doing that aren't making you happy? idolatry and chastity gluttony envy and so they saw those things and they were able to begin to sort of rise above it and not of course by their own strength but by continually calling out to the lord whom the God, who the first reading says is close to us and so the jewish people saw the law as a blessing a sort of lifeline and you could say that they that they deeply recognized that straying from the law would lead to disastrous things. The whole story of the Old Testament, in many ways, is the story of Israel straying from the Lord and straying from the law with disastrous consequences, you know, slavery, exile, pestilence, massacres, and then realizing that they must return to the Lord and returning to him and finding their rest and their peace. And then the whole thing happens over again a generation later. How do we reconcile that view of the law, which is very beautiful and positive, with the tension that we see in the gospel today? The Pharisees called Jesus and his disciples out for not following the tradition of the elders. The tradition of the elders isn't isn't the law itself. You have the law of Moses. And then you have the tradition of the elders, which is sort of the fence or the hedge that they built around the law, that goes even far beyond it, so that even if you break the tradition of the elders on accident, at least you're not breaking the law. And there were especially a lot of purifications, as you heard in the gospel. And Jesus rejects this, and he quotes Isaiah, who says, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You disregard God's commandment, but cling to human tradition. Jesus is using really strong words here, which our New American Bible doesn't translate quite as strongly, uh, but he's basically saying that they've, it's as though they've climbed up to the top of Mount Sinai and said, God, you no longer have legislative authority here. We have taken the divine authority upon ourselves, and we will make the laws. And then they've stripped it of its core, which was in the end the law of the heart, and they've put in its place external action, external practices. And this undermines the core of the law, which is the Shema prayer, as we hear Jesus quote so many times in the gospel You shall love the Lord your God with all your might, with all your mind, your heart, and your strength. All these things are interior our mind, our heart, the strength of our will. They're not exterior practices. So, what Jesus is suggesting here is a sort of focusing, a distilling of the law down to its very core. Because it's all of our human tendency to want to depend upon external practice. It's clearer. It makes more sense in many ways. Um, it's easier to know where we're at. Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. You know, I'll just get the job done, and then we can. Then we're square. Um, many religions in the world have sort of just taken up a sort of ortho practice, as it's called, as the way that they operate. You know, I was over in the Holy Land. And I was talking to a a Muslim guy, and we were kind of discussing. I was asking him about Islam, and he's like, Islam is great. Uh, You say the Lord's name 100 times a day, you pray five times, you keep the fasts, and you're good going to heaven. I'm like, I wish that were true, man. That'd be amazing, because then we could just know for sure. I don't even think that's not even true of Islam. Uh, That was like the infomercial version of it. But... That's not how religion works, because religion isn't a pass that we're or a test that we're trying to pass. It's a relationship, and relationships are way more complicated than that, as we all know. David writes so beautifully in the Psalms, in Psalm 51, which he writes right after he falls into adultery. He says, O oh Lord, you do not desire sacrifice, but a contrite heart. You know, Jesus wants our heart. I spoke to that a little last week when I talked about my friend Johnny and his sort of moment of realization that that's what Christianity was, was giving the Lord your heart, and he was incapable of that. And we're all on the same boat with that. So then why, why if Jesus is so against, in many ways, the sort of external practice and trying to give us a religion that's about the heart, about the core, why is it that the church demands so much from us, the church that he founded? Why are we required to go to Mass every week? And not only that, but if if we're in a state of sin, to go to reconciliation before receiving Eucharist. Why is the teaching on marriage so difficult? Why can't we just be with who we want to be with? Why can't we look at what we want to on the Internet? Why do priests have to be celibate? Why do we have such strict limits on drinking and eating? Why can't we do drugs or drink as much as we want? Why can't we live together outside of marriage? Why why are we personally responsible for the poor, and for the immigrants, and for the refugees? Why do we have to fast and do penance and give alms? Does it seem that Christianity has taken the opposite road that Jesus was beginning to point us down and move instead not toward a religion of the heart, but toward a new and different system of laws that's even more demanding than the system that we had in the Old Testament. But not so fast. If we look at the laws of Christianity and we compare those to what Jesus was so critical of in the way the Pharisees were operating, we see a fundamental difference. The moral teachings of the church, every single one, is there to give us the freedom to love. And are they difficult? Of course. They're the most difficult thing in the world. But they're there to give us the freedom to love. Jesus is demanding. He is demanding. That's because love is hard, as we all know. It's not comfortable. But Jesus didn't come to make us comfortable. He came to make us holy. You know, love at its core is not a set of external practices. Any of us who have tried to love know that. But we also cannot love without action. You know, James' letter, in many ways, is a correction to all of our natural desires of what we want religion to be. And he says clearly, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deluding yourselves. There's nothing more difficult And there's also nothing more beautiful than Christian love. When we see someone who has really taken that to heart and loves truly in a sacrificial way, there's nothing more beautiful, more attractive in the world. When we read the lives of the saints, we realize there's no one more beautiful or attractive than the saints. And that's what we're all called to, nothing less. The church will never call us to less than that. And why not live our lives? for the greatest of all things, because we only have one life. And so the Lord tells us, hear and observe, O Christians, that you may live. Jesus came that we might have life to the full. And so let's go and love our brothers and sisters to the full.